Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. We're in our fifth uh, week of a series called Why Though? Um, based off the meme, like the Why Though meme, if, if, anyone's, any, if anyone's ever seen that. But um, it's essentially going through, we're going through why do we do what we do as a church, as City Light North Adelaide. And this week, we are going through why go. Why go? And I, I, before I even start today, uh, I should probably preface this. Um, I was chatting to Philippa just beforehand, and, and she says, what, what are we talking about today? And I said, why go? And I'm like, um, what, is, what does that even mean? <laughs> Do you mean like we should leave the building now because you're preaching today? Is that, is that what's going on? So no, it's not that. It, we're actually talking about it. Why going is this, it sounds pretty abstract. And uh, so far, we've had like baptism, serving, gathering, praying, and for the most part, we've covered these fairly concrete topics. But if I want to just talk abstractly for a second, if we are going somewhere, that means we have to have been sent from somewhere, right? If you're new to this church, if you don't know, we've been here for about a year, a year and a bit now, and we were sent from this thing, uh, this other church plant called Silite Glenelg that was planted about five years ago. And it's kind of, a church plant is kind of like a startup church. Um, you, you come, you get planted, like a, it's like a pot analogy, you go plant and then the plant grows, right? So that's why we, we call it a church plant. But the thing is, when you're in a church plant, it's very tempting to call, your, to call the church plant a church once it's kind of settled in after a year or so. And the, and the problem with, I, I feel like this kind of phraseology that we use about church planting and, and, and just churches is that when you've gone from a church plant to a church, it's kind of like you've arrived. You've, you're kind of done. That's it. You're already, mission's done, plant, church has been planted. Okay, cool. We can sit back, kick back, and just watch everyone just flow through the doors, right? That's, but that's not what our DNA is. Um, I don't want to ever call this church plant a church. I want to always call it a church plant because planting is part of our DNA. It's part of our ethos. And if um, we believe as part of the something that's called the Acts 29 network, it's a, it's a network of churches plant, that plant churches, that plant churches. Um, it's, one of our, it's one of our key features of, 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 the, of this church. And we believe that God has ordained the church to be the primary methods in which people are reached. Um, and this is kind of even seen out in our discipleship groups as well. We have um, we had one discipleship group when we started, and then we had two, now we have five, and we're actually in the process of planting out more discipleship groups. And that in itself is a, is a small representation or a small image of what church planting actually is. So hopefully when we have more groups, then we'll be able to plant out more churches and eventually reach more people for God's glory. But this is only one way we can go. This is only one way of just going. Uh, there are other more concrete examples, such as uh, engaging your friends, families, co-workers, neighbours. Uh, we're sent to them with the gospel of Jesus, right? Um, there's other ways of, um, of going, quote-unquote going, such as uh, what we would uh, call missional cultural engagement strategies, like Red Frogs or Green Team. Uh, then you've had the word missions in itself. And missions in, it can, be, uh, uh, can be thought of in terms of world missions, can be short-term or long-term. 
So specifically tonight, as, as a collective, I want to ask why, when we ask why go, we're asking why do we do Red Frogs? Why do we do Green Team? Why do we plant churches? Why is City Light doing a Compassion's missions trip to the Philippines? Why, are we do, why do we do these things? But also, I want us to ask ourselves, why do we individually go? Why do we need, all need to be individually on mission? Our text tonight is in 2 Corinthians. Um, we're going to look in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 16 to 21, and we'll read it through and see what God has for us tonight. Um, if you can follow on screen as well, or if you have your Bibles, open up. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal th- God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, Let's pray together before before we unpack this text and see what God has for us, eh? Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, who you are and your marvelous character. Thank you for your word that it's inspired and that you, uh, uh, life comes from it, Lord. Uh, thank you for this church community, but um, that we can come and gather in, in your name. Um, help us understand uh, what you have for us tonight. Uh, challenge us, uh, embolden us, empower us. Um, I know tonight is not going to be an easy word, but I Help, I pray that you help us do what you have called us to do. Um, help us see you for all you are, and I pray that you do a mighty work within us. Help us not to be just hearers of the word, but effectual doers. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're not familiar with Second Corinthians, a um, bit of context for this particular part of the, uh, of the letter. Uh, Paul is writing to a church he planted in Corinth, but the church had um, been under the authority of some, some pretty poor teachers. Um, in, this, in this part of the letter, Paul uses his own personal en- encounter with Jesus um, to demonstrate to the Corinthians that he was, he was pretty legit, that, he, that his teaching had authority. So Paul tells the Corinthians of when he encountered Jesus and, and then when he, uh, when he was reconciled to God through Jesus, he then too became an advocate or an agent of reconciliation. And through this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is doing that exact same thing with them. He's reconciling them to God. For the Corinthians, Paul's encounter with Jesus was a clear example of what is meant to happen when you are truly found in Christ. And this is the exact same case for you and me. 
Um, Jake Swaddling talked about this particular passage. He mentioned it a few weeks ago when we talked about why gather. And he talked about being reconciled to each other, which is definitely true. But it is, um, but being reconciled to each other is not just, that's not, that's not the only point of the message of, of, this, part of, the, of this part of the letter. Um, God actually, first and foremost reconciles us to him. And when we become believers of the gospel message, we are then entrusted with the message of reconciliation. We're entrusted to share it with others. We become ambassadors. It's just, it's just who we become. It becomes a part of our identity. And the Bible was clear in, uh, not in just this bit, but there's other parts in the Bible that, that talk about Mission, uh, and most famously, we know this in Jesus giving the Great Commission, and seen in Matthew 28. Uh, I'll read it out for you, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus also says in Mark 16, 15, he says, And he said to them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Jesus instructs his followers in Acts 1, 8, But you will receive when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Going or being on mission is so much a part of Christian life, that scripture, in scripture there is instruction for us to be on mission. And it's not because, um, we're, it's not because that we, that's how we earn our favor with God, not at all. But it's to simply inform us that being missionaries is part of who we are now as Christians. Or as the great missionary Hudson Taylor put it this way, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. And we want to be people who submit our lives to Scripture because Jesus is the Lord of our lives, right? Our lives don't belong to us. They're not our own. We've been bought with a price and we belong to Jesus. But notice how Paul in his letter to the Second Corinthians, he, he doesn't just give them a law that you must be missionaries or else. I mean, he could have, but he doesn't do that. So how does he remind them of their missional identity? He reminds them of their identity in Christ. He says, if anyone, not just Paul or Timothy, not the apostles or just the Corinthians, but if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And which leads me to my first point today. We go because we are enamored by Jesus. Let's just think about that for a second. What what does it mean to be a new creation? Well, the old is gone, the new has come. My standing with God is hidden in the righteousness of, of Christ. We've been plucked out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And with that, it's not, there's not just some superficial change with our, with our behaviors. The Holy Spirit gives us an entirely new life. We are changed from the inside out. Our thoughts are different. 
Our cold hearts are no longer stone, but God has given us a heart of flesh. New desires, new affections, new motivations. We no longer live for ourselves because we have Jesus. We have the most prized possession in the, in the universe. When we realize what being a new creation in Christ means, how could we live for ourselves anymore? Philippians 4.19 puts it this way, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of yours. So if you think that you're missing something, but you have Jesus, you actually aren't missing anything at all. If we are enamored with Jesus, how could we not tell people about him? Now you might be thinking, man, Tran, you, this, is sounds, this sounds like radical stuff, bro. <laughs> this sounds really full on. It sound, like this mission thing, it sounds kind of cultish. <laughs> Don't you think? It sounds like the Mormons, right? <laughs> well, put it this way. Look at, look at how, Austra- how do Australians treat their favorite sports team? Look at how much money we spend. We go out, we travel to the games, even the interstate games, and we lose. <laughs> What's up with that, right? Uh, you expect if you go interstate, surely you'd win, right? That, that would make my, worth my time. But no, we still keep doing it. <laughs> we put up memorabilia around our house. We, we lose our voices chanting with the crowns. We have our entire hearts in sport. And we have merchandise and paraphernalia all over the place and even little bumper stickers on our cars. And you think radically, being radically on mission is kind of cultish? <laughs> Plenty of Australians, strictly speaking, are a part of a cult. <laughs> it just happens that it happens to be the, the poor power or the, or the Adelaide Crows, <laughs> which is more depressing when they're on top of you and they lose in the end. <laughs> We will tell people about the things that we are caught up with, what we're enamored by. We will tell people about the things that have caught our affections. Sports is just one. I'm like, look at your entire, look at your lives. Shoes, coffee, brunch spots with amazing smashed avo, right? Apple versus Android. Mac versus PC. I've I've seen some nerds like rage so hard against Macs and PC. I don't I don't understand it, but they, they will they will try to evangelize you. This is one, or this thing is better, or this is better. And for new couples who just become a couple, or the newly engaged, or the, the newly married, like like it's what's the thing that these couples want to do when they when they meet people they haven't seen in a while. Have you met my significant other? Right? And they will, and they are absolutely enamored by it. I know this guy. Um, he he's pretty shy. I'm not going to name names, but um, he doesn't, normally doesn't talk about girls to me generally. Um, but I'm sitting next to him one day, and um, with a bunch of mates, and and he's, he leans into me and he says, "Hey, hey, hey, Tran, Tran, Tran. Do, do you see that girl over there?" 
I'm like, yeah, uh, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> We're dating. And he has this massively cheeky smile, and he's just beaming. His eyes are just lit up. And that's not to say that sports or fantastic food or technology or relationships are bad. I mean, they're gifts that are given to us, right? But they cannot and will not ever outweigh the glory and supremacy of Christ. Have we missed the gravity and the totality of the nature and character of Jesus? As Christians... The more we know of Christ, the more we relate to him. We cannot help but be enamored by Jesus when we truly see him for all he is. Culture shouldn't consume us. Christ should. And this can be at times very difficult to do. (laughs) And for some of us, including myself, we need to ask ourselves, do our lives reflect the love that we know? Do our lives reflect the love that we know? Or as A.W. Tozer put it, and this is a massive burn, Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. (laughs) Our lives are full of good things, but they can become distractions. Heck, several months ago, this is confession here. I had to reel myself in several months ago because I was talking more about cryptocurrency than I was talking about Jesus. Hey man, have you heard about this cryptocurrency called Dogecoin? It's going gonna, it's gonna to buy me my next Lambo. That's what's, that's what's up. I had to reel myself in because I was more consumed by culture than I was with Christ. But as we become more wrapped up in who Jesus is, we should not just want to share Jesus, but we actually want to become more like him. And Jesus knew that people needed to be saved. We're going to go through a little bit of Matthew 9, but I encourage you to read the entire Matthew 9 for for homework just just tonight. A bit of context, Jesus has been through the city. He's been healing everybody. You get a healing, you get a healing, everyone gets healings. And everyone wants a piece of the action. And so it brings us to Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, and the, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Brings me to my second point tonight. We go because the compassion of Jesus compels us. Christianity, predominantly in the West, is so concerned with itself. We're, we're so concerned with self-actualizing, being the best you can be, five ways to be a better husband or a wife, how to achieve your own goals and dreams. And we forget that we are in the midst of a war. Churches at large in the West think that we're in peacetime. But Scripture, specifically Ephesians 6, is clear that we are at war. Not r- and we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
we in the West are more concerned with our temporary comfort than the eternal destiny of those around us, let alone those around the world. But when we become more like Jesus, we grow in our compassion for people. Not just their physical, earthly state, that's important, but ultimately their eternal state. The church needs to maintain its wartime mentality when it comes to mission. You know what happens in war? We're lucky that we haven't been in a war, but do you know what happens in a war when a country goes to war? You leverage every single asset you have to overcome the enemy. Everyone in the country is all in. And we grow in our compassion for people and we can't help but be all in for them. Don was talking a little bit about this last time, uh, last week as well, but um, it's not just the pastors or the elders or the discipleship group leaders, but everyone, every single one of us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, we're here, us leaders are here to equip you guys for this war. Ephesians 4, 11, 13 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain unity, uh, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I'm here in the trenches along with you guys. I'm here to equip you. We're here together to give all our time, all our money, all our resources, all of our livelihoods for God's mission. And how could we not be all in? Just look at the lost people we see every day. The International Missions Board, put, um, as of last year, June 20, uh, 2017, reckoned there are 3,203 unreached people groups worldwide. And international, international missions is really important. But for some of us, that seems pretty distant. It's, it's not really close to me because it's some pie-in-the-sky kind of concept. It's not right, it's some, some generic idea. So what? Okay. Let's, 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 go, let's just look at Australia for a second. And I've, I've pulled these stats before, but these stats should make you shiver. Census data in Australia says that 59% of Australians claim to be Christian. 59%. Okay. That sounds a bit more than half. It doesn't sound too bad. But how much of that is true biblical Christianity and not just normal Christianity, nominal Christianity or spiritual but not religious? They include spiritual and not religious inside Christianity. <laughs> The McCrindle Research Firm um, put out a study called Faith and Belief in Australia 2017. Um, and they break down the information. They reckon about 7% of, of these people are actually Bible-believing Christians that go to a church once a week. In our post-Christendom world, people are identifying less as Christians. And I'm not concerned about the identification. I'm concerned uh, the self-identification. I'm concerned about with the actual reality that that 7% of Australians claim to know Jesus. In 80 80 years ago, it would have been socially acceptable to call yourself a Christian because there's social advantages to it, right? But there is little to no incentive to calling yourself a Christian these days. 
And what we're actually seeing is people reflecting the actual spiritual climate of our culture. If you're a Christian and amongst our own friends, we know this to be true. And I don't want to guilt trip you, but just look at the people in your life. What percentage of those are actually active Bible-believing Christians? Is it more than 7%? It probably is a little bit, but that's because we're in church community, right? How much are we living in a, in a Christian bubble? Heck, let's, let's get real here. For us 20-somethings around in this area right now, we have colleges and universities just around the corner. How many people do you think know Jesus? How many people do you think in those colleges know of their need for Jesus? And yet some of us, and I'm guilty of this as well myself, and for some of us, we're just okay with living in, with people living in rebellion against the holy and just God and sitting idly by while we know that there is someone who can actually save them. How are people going to know if no one tells them? Romans 10, 14 to 17 puts it this way. Uh, Paul is talking to the believers in Rome, and he says, How will they then, referring to other believers, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach if unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not obeyed, they have not at all, they have not, no, they, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What Paul is saying here is that the gospel is for everyone. Let's bring back to an example. If I was a doctor and I saw some, some skin growth on, and it looked kind of cancerous, what, what would I do? What would you do? Would you tell them what you thought it was? You'd do a biopsy, you'd remove that bad boy and you'll be all good? Or would you just let that person go and say, like, she'll be right. Oh, wait, here's a lolly. Because, you know, that's what doctors do, right? Give stale lollies out. I'm not a doctor, but... I remember being seven, so. <laughs> Thank Christ, our standing with God is by grace alone, because um, if this is a law case, if I was that doctor and I had a patient like that, and I opted to do nothing to save that person, even though I knew how I, that I could fix the problem, I would be sued for negligence. And when we get who Jesus is, all of who he is, and we get the gravity of the gospel, that changes us. And we cannot help but go all in on mission. How can we, the people who have the best news in the world, have it and not share it with people? We have life and life to the full, not just in the coming life, but now. Look at the people in, in, in society around us. Either they're in massive turmoil circumstantially, whether it be like with their health, wealth, relationships, career, status, or image, or they've found temporary happiness in their happenstance, really. They haven't really found the enduring, eternal joy found in the person of Jesus. 
We need to be like Jesus. We need to look at the crowds and have compassion for them. And lastly, um, the reason why do we go? We go for his glory's sake. Matthew 16, 18 puts it this, uh, says this. Uh, Jesus is talking to Peter here. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice how Jesus is saying, not upon this rock, you will build my church, Peter. What does he say? On this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is the one who saves. The Holy Spirit is the one that works, does the work of regeneration. God, is the, God the Father is the one who orchestrates everything. And to the glory of God alone are we saved. And yet God has made it so that, that we get to play a part in this. Think about it. This is, it's kind of crazy. The insanity of God of using fallen people like us. Look at Jesus using Peter to build his church on. Would you, would you really use an, an unqualified fisherman from Bethsaida who constantly demonstrates to Jesus that, oh, I kind of get the gospel, but I kind of don't get the gospel. In the, even in this passage right now, after Jesus, um, uh, Jesus actually calls Peter Satan because, he tell, because Peter tells Jesus not to go to the cross. That's, Peter just got told by Jesus that he was Satan. What the heck? And you, build, you decide to build your church on this guy? Jesus knows that Peter's going to deny him three times. And Paul, like later on in the epistles, Paul confronts Peter to his face for hypocrisy. This is who you choose to build your church on? If, if Jesus was right here, you'd be thinking, like, well, I, we need to sit down, bro. This does not look like a good game plan. You, you're, you're picking some really bad people right now. Just, just picking fools, man. This is not a good idea. And yet, God has worked through the ages from a tiny town in the Middle East and 2,000 years on, still kicking around on the other side of the world. I'm pretty sure the disciples had no idea what Australia was or what a bunno snag was, right? Jesus is building his church. The sovereign king of the universe is more than capable to, capable to build his church on his own. But yet for his glory's sake, he chooses us, fallen beings, to play a part. Now you might be thinking like, man, you've just talked a lot about stats. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus and this is choosing me? Do you know me? I'm not that great. And you might be feeling a bit overwhelmed and so you should be. In fact, that's exactly how you should feel. That's exactly how you should feel because the mission of God doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. You shouldn't let the, the, the feeling of being overwhelmed by mission, you shouldn't let that paralyze you from going into the mission field for Jesus. Rather, what we need to do with this, with, with this feeling of over, being overwhelmed, we need to push into the sovereignty and the promises of God. We need to push into his bigness and his power. The thing with our kind of theological camp that our church sits in is that 
uh, we would, some of us would say, and I've been guilty of this myself, we would say, well, if they were elect or predestined, they'll just get saved anyway, right? Or something along the lines of, why should I go on mission if they're going to get saved regardless? Save me from doing the hassle. And I hear what you're saying, but 99% of the time, this is a cop-out. This is a cop-out because I don't want to inconvenience myself because I've, already, I've been saved and I want to do what I want to do. If this is you, and this, is, this has been my thinking as well, I've been guilty of this myself, I want to lovingly rebuke you and say, I don't think you really understand what it means to be under the supreme reign of Jesus. When we trust in God's sovereignty and saving people, nothing we do is in vain. Absolutely nothing. When I think of missions, I can't, and I, and I feel like I can't do it, I think of like the NBA All-Stars for a, for, for, for a minute. Um, especially this year, the NBA, the NBA All-Star team uh, game is actually, uh, if you don't know what the NBA is, it's the basketball league in, in the States. And they have an All-Star team, this uh, All-Star game this year, where it's a bunch of people, the best of the best, just picked out. And this year, they actually have two captains, and they actually can pick out whoever they want on their team, which is, which is pretty cool. But you look at LeBron's team, team this year, and who does he pick? He picks Kevin Durant, Kari Irving, Anthony Davis, and DeMarcus Cousins. Now, if you don't know what that means, just think, just know that you can't beat that. <laughs> the West is going to die this week. <laughs> and yet, if this was God in this analogy here, if he gets in the court, who does he pick? He picks the scrawny high school bench seat warmer, and that's us. And he uses us on the court, and we win against LeBron James and the NBA superstar team. Because the mission, fortunately, does not depend on you. It doesn't depend on your skill. It doesn't depend on how much faith you have. It doesn't depend on your resources. It ultimately doesn't depend on how much you know about the Bible or your skills of persuasion or apologetics or your lack of faith that you might find disturbing that you've had because you've been a Christian for 20 plus years. If the mission of God were actually up to us, we'd be stuffed. And Christianity would have died with the Apostle Peter 2,000 years ago. The mission of God depends on God. And we can trust that. God has invited us to play ball with him. And that's why we go. And you might be thinking now, okay, great, what, what, do I, what do I do with all this, Andrew? What do I do about this? Well, I want to just end up with a, end up with a quick story about my dad. Um, if you don't know, I'm Vietnamese, I'm Asian, but yeah, you can see that. Um, my dad was a refugee from Vietnam. Um, and so he tried leaving the country about 37, 38 years ago when he was like 18 or 19. And he got caught by a bunch of communist police and got put into a communist prison camp for a year. He eventually gets out of camp, leaves the country on a boat and ends up in a refugee camp and gets sponsored over by a Baptist family here. And through that, he became a Christian. Right? 
he met my mum, I'm here now. And I don't, if, I, if, if you'd asked, I think if you'd asked the, the people who sponsored my dad over 37 years ago, that if they knew that, if they knew if their kid was going to be one of the key leaders of a church plant almost 40 years later, I don't think they would have known at all. My dad was saved by a, through a Baptist family in the, in the early 80s, and that was to God's glory alone. God has put in front of us good works to do. God has put opportunities all over our lives to be on mission. I want to invite you to open your eyes to see what God has in front of you. I plead with you, remind yourself of who Jesus is. Re-gospel yourself. Remind yourself of who you are in Jesus and in light of that, be obedient to him and go. And if you don't see it, I, let's pray. Let's pray. Pray for God to open, uh, open your eyes to the reality around you. Pray that God opens your eyes to see Jesus for all he is. Pray that against the apathy in your own heart, the apathy that strokes our egos but it eats at our souls, pray that God changes our hearts. Pray that we lean into his sovereignty and to his promises. Pray that we can grow confident in, in his character and who he says he is. Only then will we be able to go to our neighbors, to our nation, and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Jesus. Um, thank you for his life and death and resurrection. That you, All the things that you have accomplished through him. Thank you that we have a relationship with him. And that we have found our meaning and purpose in your glorious gospel. Uh, help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. Uh, help us be unashamedly in love with Christ and his beauty. Help us to trust in your sovereign reign over the world. I uh, pray that you give us a spirit of boldness, Lord Father. Help us to live on mission. Not just go out and do an activity, but live mission. Help us be ambassadors of your glory and grace. Help us to be obedient to Jesus as he was obedient to, to you, even to death on a cross. Pray that you be the, at the forefront of our minds all of our lives as we live for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.